This week on the Formation Lat, the show tries not to tease you as much as Fernando Alonso has teased the collective minds of American race fans everywhere. God bless you, sir. And Tim is done. The Alonso nonsense has just worn me out. Let's move on. It's 2020, not 2007. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you right now that uh, the first like opening while of this show is going to be Alonzo watch. Hey, so hey Luke, let's let's just get it over let's with. Let's get it started. Hit the then. tunes. This is the Formation Lab. Welcome one, welcome all to the Formation Lab, the only podcast available on Mars, pending your availability of a Wi-Fi connection. Hey, you know, we we do care about our Martian listeners. Yeah, you know, you guys are good people, I'm presuming. Uh, you'll be listening in the future, obviously, so don't make me wrong on that. But you're good people. We we're, Hey, we're fans. We're fans. Let's <laughs> terraform Mars. The only podcast officially pro-terraforming Mars. Uh, that I know of. Definitely the only motorsport podcast pro-terraforming Mars. You know what? A Martian GP would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know who might race in that race? Fernando Alonso. <laughs> Because presumably he'll still be clinging on to the last bit of his career. Quadruple crown. Quadruple crown. Uh, so we're going to kick it into a brand new segment we'd like to call Fernando Watch. It's time for Fernando Watch 2020. I just want it to be over. <laughs> I, I, I want This is so awful. Hey, Tim, news today from Fernando Alonso's camp. He will be racing the number 66 Aero McLaren SP in the 2020 Indianapolis 500. The months of drama have only reached their halfway point because he's still still got to appear at the race, Dave. I hope he wins. I hope McLaren has a good showing. I hope they aren't pipped by a small mom-and-pop shop. Um, you're saying you're saying that you hope big mighty McLaren beats little Yunkos Racing. Yes, and <laughs> you know what? I hope it all goes well because I'm sick of it. And the next year, Pato Award or Oliver Askew will go ahead and win that win it all. You know, for McLaren. Are Are you saying that you just want Fernando Alonso to win so he can stop trying with the Indy 500 so that he can go away? Yes. How dare you? How dare you? I dare. Hey, oh, t- I dare. Hey Tim. Tim, well, he's going to race a Chevy engine. Let me tell you about this. We have Fernando. Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> Maybe because he pissed off the other big manufacturer. That could be it. <laughs> so let's let's break down the uh, the Alonso situation uh, just for a little bit. We'll go through the history for like thirty seconds here. Alonso, obviously, in the past, pissed off uh, pissed off Honda pretty well. Honda is a line. Honda is one of only two, you know, actual teams. Uh, one of only two engine manufacturers in IndyCar. So that means half the teams are immediately out because Honda said, nah, you're not going to race a Honda engine, which shut the door off to Andretti. And Aero McLaren SP, I think, understandably said, this is our first year as a fully-fledged team. We don't think we're going to run a third car. So uh, Alonso was kind of out in the cold because none of the other two teams that run Chevys uh, really had the desire or budget to go you know, field a third car featuring Fernando Alonso. So... News came out today. I mean, we're recording on on Tuesday. What is it? The the twenty fifth. So that came out probably what five hours ago. That yep. uh, that uh, this he will be running. He's with in Aero McLaren SP under a Chevy engine. And uh, here's an interesting spot. Uh, here's an interesting thing. Ruoff Mortgage will be his sponsor on the car. Ruoff Mortgage. I, I assume I'm saying that right. Uh, sponsored Takuma Sato in his 2017 victory at the Indy 500. 
Um, I think it's interesting that they already have a sponsor lined up. I don't know what Ruoff Mortgage is, but I'm assuming that because I haven't heard of. No, I am not a mortgage holder, so. But uh, maybe have you ever heard of this company? You no. you work in real estate. I am in I am in real estate. Never heard of them. Never heard of them. Nope. So uh, you would think maybe Fernando would get a better sponsor than Ruoff Mortgage, but if they're if they're throwing it out, hey. it's probably you know what it probably is. It's probably a local Indianapolis company. Because that is huge advertising in Indianapolis. It is. And, you know, it's it's someone to sponsor him in the car and help spread the cost of the third car. Mm-hmm. So go for it. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing about this sponsor is uh, they're reportedly pretty close with the Andretti camp. And uh, uh, Zach and Michael Andretti, the CEO of uh, Andretti Autosports, are very close. As a reminder, they, run, they co-run a team in Australian supercars. So... Uh, Zach Brown came out and said that, uh, hey, we did talk to Andretti about, you know, taking that sponsor and taking Fernando. And he specifically said that Michael Andretti gave this team his blessing. So it's interesting to me that there was kind of a meeting of two very influential heads of motorsport going, no, you know what? You can have him. It's not a big deal. If you want to run him, you want to run him. Because that was reportedly Ruoff was in for the Andretti uh, Alonzo team before. Uh, Honda nixed it, so hmm. I think it's. I thought that was a pretty pretty neat little uh, it is. little tidbit. Uh, so here's uh, Fernando Alonso's uh, quote, and you can feel free to scoff at this the entire time. So I mean, by by all means, quote: "I am a racer, and the Indy 500 is the greatest race in the world. I want to come back, and I have maximum respect for this race and everyone who competes in it. I actually do do buy that so far. Uh, and all I want to do is race against him and give my best as always." Okay, I can see that. Yep. It is important for me to explore my options for this race, but Aero, McLaren, SP has always been at the top. I have a special relationship with McLaren, and we've we've been through a lot together that creates a bond, a loyalty that is strong. I That's a generic statement. It is. Yeah. It is very generic, but you know what? It is uncharacteristically generic for, for, for Alonzo. He usually puts some barbs... Somewhere, there's usually a message in there somewhere for someone that we can decipher. That's pretty pretty well uh, towing the line, and I'm sure that he's, his hand is still a little singed from the issue with Honda. But uh, Alonzo's never worked with Honda. You have it right here. Last year was an effort uh, with a solo McLaren Honda, and 2017 was with Andretti Honda. So this is his first time working with a Chevy. Right. That'll be great. Um, and Zach Brown uh, goes on. Uh, I'll let you read that. Yeah, so Zach Brown uh, says that clearly Fernando was in deep con- deep in conversations with Michael. That's Andretti. If you're a Fernando Alonso and you want to win Indianapolis, then Andretti is on your short list. And I want to pause right there because I like that Zach Brown was forward enough to go, look, it's Andretti Autosport at Indianapolis. If you want to win in Indianapolis, which Fernando does, Andretti is – if you can't get a ride with Andretti or Penske, it's Andretti and Penske and then the other teams, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so I think it's interesting for Zach Brown to acknowledge it, like, hey, Andretti's on the short list. They got to be. Yeah. Um, and I think there's kind of a hidden little we realize where we are in relation to Andretti as well. And, you know, with McLaren and with Zach, I think uh, last year was a, was a rough go, and he wants to show the paddock some more respect. Um, coming from the American motorsport industry, as Zach does, that makes total sense. Uh, but we also had uh, Sam Schmidt saying, we talked about the NDGP in preparatory fashion, but we need to find funding. Uh, so right now the plan is to run April 30th open test at the Speedway. Yeah, so, so it, that'll be interesting too because 
Alonzo on an oval is, I don't want to say it's an unknown because we've seen it twice before now, or one and a half times, shall we say, right? Mm. Um, but if Alonzo comes in and he races that Indy GP uh, yeah. two weeks before the race, and to many people uh, in Indianapolis and in IndyCar, that is really just a prep race for the 500, right? That is a step towards, a step in the crucial month of May, right? Yeah. Um, I think watch out if he if he ends up running that uh, that GP of Indianapolis, the road course. Alonzo on a road course, we've seen in F1 time and time again. It's where we've he's, seen in the 24-hour races. We've seen everywhere. It's where his bread and butter is. And he's out of his element in an oval to an extent. He's extremely good at the oval. We've seen him in, in 20, I think it was 2016 when he raced on the oval. Um but I think, uh, I think honestly, if he decides to run the GP of Indianapolis, I would not be shocked if he mops the floor with it. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Uh, you know, he still does have – while I do resent him for just how much time he spends and how in his wake – it, it are the structures of what were good teams. Are you are you bad mouthing Fernando Watch twenty twenty? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Anyway, yes. as you were saying, but I, I would much rather focus on the dynamic that McLaren has now in both their IndyCar and their Formula One teams. I think it's exciting. I think it's different, and I think it's partly accepting what's new and bringing it together with what's old. I think Zach Brown has done it masterfully in both arenas where you bring back the traditional structure of a formula one team and you incorporate the red bull type of youth and hair down except red bulls more you know politically at each other's throats all the time and it's a bit more of a meat factory whereas mclaren they believe in their guys and they're going to back them and they're going to give them all the support they need i think that that's a really cool way for them to go and i think that the alonzo thing it's like I, i saw that i've seen this for the last four years come on I think it's time to move. It would be like the St. Louis Cardinals holding on to Albert Pujols too long, or when the Cardinals held on to Mark McGuire for too long. It's like, okay, he's not going to do what he did. It's old. It's old. Let's go. It's time. Everybody's legacy has to come to an end. Correct. Um, and I, I like new chapters. I, I want to talk about this new chapter because McLaren, obviously, the talk of the town is in every facet in Formula One and IndyCar. They're having a youth movement. And with two drivers, Pato Award and Oliver Askew, this is their first season with a full schedule under their, under their bet. And I'm so oh. excited for them. Right. Do you think that part of this move, too, is McLaren wants, a senior, wants that relationship with Fernando? Because who better um, to kind of take under their wing? They, Zach Brown mentioned at, in the press conference that, hey— both Pato and Oliver are Fernando Alonso fans. So maybe True. there's a little bit of like of like, hey, you know, you're only gonna be with us for this one, maybe for two races, right? But there's learning opportunities. You know how to deal with an event of this magnitude, and neither Oliver or Pato do at this point. And he was instrumental with Lando Norris at the twenty four hours of Daytona back in, I believe, twenty seventeen. So you're right. You do make a good point there. That is fair. And even even if, you know, Fernando doesn't have... I can hear people go, oh, Fernando doesn't have the track experience at Indy. I know, but there is so much more that goes into a race of that magnitude. Or no, any, sur- any event. Right. Yeah. And surviving a full season than just knowing that track. Mm-hmm. There's so much mental aspects. There's the, hey, you know what I do is I wake up, and before I get breakfast, I do like an hour of just cardio training to get my blood pumping for the day. And that's the kind of thing that maybe Fernando can pass on to an Oliver. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, you. I think you're also alluding to the lessons that Kobe Bryant always passed on to the new rookie yeah. uh, players and would say, okay, I'm going to stay out all night with you guys, but you're getting up with me. Right. So that's the deal. And he would, and then he would bury them. And we're not saying that Oliver and Pato are anything but consummate professionals. I mean, we've interacted with them here, here at uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway. It's just that you can always learn from a person who's had as much experience as Fernando has. Correct. So, but I think, I think this leads us nicely, Luke, from old chapters and new chapters to the last chapter. This is the last chapter in the current regulation set. Oh, okay. Yep. That's where Formula we're going. One. That's yeah. where we're going. So Formula One kind of blew the door open. This has been a very f- interesting test session this year. I think this is probably the most intrigued I've been through test sessions in a, in a while, right? Uh, so do you want to start with Mercedes and the DAS? The- yes. Yeah, let's, let's... And you want to know why? Because I love it. I love this so much. This is one of the reasons I watch Formula One is because every now and again, they will come out with something so bonkers and so fantastic that everybody up and down the pit lane is scrambling to make it illegal because they didn't think of it first. Yeah. Because they're bummed out. They did, they got outfoxed by the guys that are uh, putting it putting it at the top every single year. The thing I really thought was awesome was Daniel Ricciardo in a uh, press conference afterward talking about how much he admires Mercedes for not resting on their laurels but still setting the bar every single time, every single session, and saying, come get us. And no one does. So I think this is awesome. It is a uh, dual-axis steering, so in a straight-line speed at the start of the straight, the when the driver is getting pushed back in the seat, the, the steering wheel comes back toward them. It corrects the towing for... The, the wheels, it makes them go perfectly straight. Right, so let's let's break down toe for a second. Toe is basically, if you imagine, you know, two wheels, are they angled in towards each other or are they angled out towards each other? Now, when you're in a corner, toe can make a lot of difference uh, in terms of your grip in the corner. It can make a lot of difference, more importantly, in how well it heats up the tires and where the pressure lands on the tire, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine the inside tire turning 20 degrees, but the outside is turning 30 degrees. You know, you're going to apply pressure in different ways, and you might actually increase your cornering speed there. So as he goes on the straight, when he gets pushed back, he can pull out the steering towards himself, the steering wheel, and that makes the tires more perpendicular. And as he brakes, the toe adjusts inward. And it adjusts back to where they should be for the turning sections Mm -hmm. to make sure the tire wear uh, goes better. This has been an age-old problem in Formula One. No one's ever really cracked how to do it. It's one of those things that you ha- you require balance because too much and you're not doing as well on the straights. Too little and you're not doing as well in the corners. And it's a like you said, it's an age-old problem that you kind of have to crack and you kind of have to find you know the best of both worlds. It's like you know it's the same thing as how much downforce do you put on a car? Well, I right. need X amount for the turn, but I need as little as possible for the straights. Yeah. Same thing here, but they figured out a way to have. The best of both worlds. Absolutely. And I think it is just absolutely fantastic. It was never going to make it into the 2021 regulations. (laughs) That's the thing that I think has been misleading and somewhat irresponsible of certain outlets where they talk about, oh, they came right out and put the kibosh on it. No, it was always, it was designed to be 
the the regulations were always kind of designed to have that be outlawed. It was it always said that, and then there is a a new structure in 2021 that everybody had already agreed to, and said you know if if no one else wants this, you know you can definitely outlaw it, or if something else changes in a in a dynamic way, you don't have to go with it. That was already that was yeah. already baked in. So it's not like they came in and said, oh nope, that's it's like running around and saying, oh my god. You know this 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 great thing just happened, and uh, someone went and robbed a store. Next day, a police officer says, "Yes, that's illegal," and a news outlet saying, "It was just made illegal. Just this hap- This just happened. It's not. It's not that, guys. It's not. It was there. It's all. It's all going to be fine. But the DAS will be going away, sadly, which which does bum me out because I love that type of innovation. And you know the thing is, though, with the tighter rules, the innovation will just get more and more outlandish, though. So it does give me a little. A little hop and skip in my step when I know that, you know, even under these circumstances, we are still seeing innovation in Formula One. It's been a, it's been a while since the F-duct, you know, uh, or the double-blown diffuser. But, yeah, it, you know, you bring up a good point. The, the fact of the matter is that Mercedes themselves agreed to these 2021 regulations that they knew would outlaw this system that, you know, nobody else knew they had at that point. They right. They knew. Yeah. Um, and Mercedes developed this with the FIA knowing for the yeah. last year. And if essentially it's not even a rule change that straight up outlaws it either. It's the closing of a loophole. The yes. loophole says that, you know, you can't have active suspension. That means it can't be powered or computerized, right? Correct. And this is fully mechanical. Now, the spirit of the rule is, well, there's no way you can make that fully mechanical, right? Like, you can't have a complex system like this fully mechanical. Mercedes said, no, I think we can. And the spirit of the <laughs> That's rule... That's what I love about it. <laughs> I love it so much. They said, no, no, we can. Yeah, we can. No worries. And the spirit of the rule goes, well... You weren't supposed to, but I guess for now you got one over on us. Yeah. And that's that's really all it was, was that loophole was going to be closed in 2021. Um, I think it's it's interesting for me to to see kind of the reaction around the paddock, right? You you look at – there's a great uh, Reddit thread. If you go on to, like, the top of last week of the Formula One subreddit, it's a great video of – Renault in the garages and they're every one of their mechanics and engineers standing around a team and they look like stressed out they look like they're thinking they look like Toto Wolf looks when like or like Mattia Bonato looks when Ferrari blows something up or like Toto <laughs> Wolf looks when like Lewis Hamilton like you know goes off track he's just like oh my gosh I gotta think about this right oh, you give out. every yeah. one of those Renault guys are, are like looking like that and the camera slowly pans over to what they're looking at and they're looking at an onboard shot of the Mercedes <laughs> <laughs> and they're like oh no they're trying to figure out how did I'm sorry Luke how did that- you not think about that and like how yeah. how did they how did yeah. not think about that and how did they pull that over on us when nobody else thought about it and I love that 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 is quintessential Formula One that I love it's, give me that every single day the F duct back in the day you know the active suspension back before it became outlawed Adrian Newey's design uh, that made that Red Bull that ran four uh, straight World Championships. Mm-hmm. What that what made that great was that he split the two batteries and put it on either side of the internal combustion engine so that it could sit lower and they were they were just glued to the track at all times and that's what made that great. It's little stuff mm-hmm. and no one else thought of it and Red Bull just ran rings around them as if it was they were playing with them. So it's I think it's one of the great things to come out. I am so excited for this season that will be outlawed moving forward, which I think is a damn shame, but. 
there are some really cool things that are happening in testing uh, that I think are also very exciting. I uh, am watching uh, intensely this year. F1 TV Pro is doing a whole lot better this year. Anybody that was thinking about signing up, it's they, they've reduced it 20% to 80 bucks, And it's actually worth your time, I think. There's uh, no crashing. There's no issues with the stream itself. It's all very high quality. Sky is adding their full race coverage to uh, preseason testing. So they're going to be able to replay it over and over and over again. And it's four hours uh, each session. So there's two sessions a day. Uh, and so eight hours and then yeah. 24 hours. So I watched almost all of it last week. And I had a blast. <laughs> it was really cool. And you could tell for sure that some teams were really confident and felt good and were subdued about it. Other teams are not too confident. Uh, some teams have completely imitated someone else, which I guess imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Uh, some teams have adopted or not done anything at all. So Williams is one. They didn't really do anything because, honestly, I didn't think I don't think they had the, the bankroll to do it. I think they just kind of shored up what was wrong. With they, the car last year, I will say they do claim, and this is off of our off of our bullet point list. Oh, we don't sorry. have any bullet point. We don't have any bullet points here about it. But I think they did claim that they have a have an improved car over, like a refinement that they saved like a second over last year or whatever. And they claim that they have a much better car. But I think even George Russell, I heard him in an interview say, "Well, yeah, but you know, we could save one and a half seconds, and everybody else saves one second, and we're still going to be in last place." Uh, so he kind of put the put the tempering of expectations said hey yeah. look we're improved but we know our status right now right. for 2019 and i think george russell quickly becoming one of my favorite personalities on the paddock because yeah. he, he's so he's company man but he's also fun and he's realistic about where the team is extraordinarily polite yes net will never throw anyone under the bus and he is a team guy mm -hmm. i'm all for it bring yeah. it on every single time um haas looks interesting i don't know which way they're gonna break um, you have Renault, which I let's what is up with them? So the apparently the livery that they've been running for the last week is not the livery that they're going to go with for the season. Wait, but why? Why bother? Well, here's the thing too: is when when Red Bull does it, it's a cool concept livery that everybody knows. You're not going to have a 14 million Red Bulls in a plaid pattern running around on the track all season right? right and they will announce that when they launch the car they're like hey here's our special livery for the car launch but you have to remember renault when they launched the car one they didn't even have the car there two yeah. they roll out what looks like a race spec livery usually when people debut a livery at the testing it's very obvious it's not a race spec livery yeah yeah like or a race spec car Right. It's going to be just the livery that you have, and it's an it's an opportunity for everyone to get a load of kind of what color scheme you're going with and what sponsors you have for the It's year. like a hey, runway show, right? Exactly. It's like it's not this is what it is. It's this is where we're taking inspiration from. This is what we're going to be working with. Yeah, and I actually had someone on Twitter chime in with me and decide that, oh, no, you just didn't understand, Tim. It was a season opener, not a car launch. Oh, and they had just announced oh, really? that that morning. Oh, this is a season opener. That is the lazy person's way of getting around something. That is the most lazily lawyered statement I've ever heard in my life. That was it's your, like, oh your... no, uh, listen, we didn't have our report in on time, so uh, this is just a, a, a tasting that we were supposed to do during the report where all of our other compatriots came in with their reports. So 
Um, it's just a preview yeah. of the preview. That, that That's literally like, hey, can you have that TPS report on my desk by like 4 p.m.? And you go, oh, sorry, you know, I, I work in Indianapolis, which is an hour ahead. So you didn't specify what 4 p.m. So I turned it into 4 p.m. California time. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what exactly. it's, it's like. Exactly. It's just stupid. But It's literally Jimmy Buffett's it's 5 yeah. o'clock somewhere is what it is. Exactly. So, I, you know, I don't know what Renault's going to do this year. I have a feeling they're going to be about on the back foot again. I have a feeling they're going to have to get rid of Cyril. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, I think you taught, we had talked briefly um, about some some teams. Yeah, um, let's let's go let's go through let's, team by team real quick here. We will. Uh, the two cars I think are interesting that I wanted to touch on real quick. Alpha Tauri or Tori. however Alpha Tori Tori I think yeah. yeah whatever. We'll hear it said and then we'll understand. Yeah, but, I but think- here's the thing: they took the Alpha Romeo livery and made it blue. They, That's all they did. But it looks better. Dare I it, say? It looks pretty damn good. <laughs> I, I think they cool. out Haas the Haas because Haas has always been that neat, clean gray, right? Well, clean gray and black. For except last for last year, year. we won't talk last year. I do want to shout out. I do want to shout out a friend of ours, friend of the show. Hashtag, you know who you are. For my birthday, got me a Haas Rich Energy F1 team mug. <laughs> so oh my like, God. I'll have to show up with that. But um, yep. yeah, let's talk about Alpha Tori. They they did. Um, they're the newest, sameest team. Team. It's a Black and gray livery car. They out Haas the Haas, I think. They did. And they had the same basic concept as that as that Alfa Romeo, but it just it's a very clean looking car. They're both clean looking cars. They're both gonna be probably around the same spot in the in the uh in the pack. So I think it'll be just fine. I think and uh it looks like Kimmy's happy with the car. Mm-hmm. Pierre and Daniel Kiviet are happy with their car. Uh Giovinazzi's happy to be in a car. So we'll take it. Yeah, um, I think it's good. I want to. I want to uh, real quick though. Uh, also, Helmut Marco and Franz Toast have said that the Scuderia, Scuderia Alpha Tori is officially, in terms of official structure, no longer the junior team to Red Bull, but a sister team. It'll. 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 Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Um, but as far right, I would say right now you have the team that is obviously. All that in a bag of chips, and you have the midfield team. So yep. until you both get to be midfield, or you both get to be the team, you know, up at the front, you're still the junior team. Yep. But uh, I want to I want to roll back to Haas for a second. Yes, please. Uh, because I saw, and I think it was either Max Verstappen's or Charles Leclerc. Uh, I think it might have been Charles Leclerc. They they had a quick peek at, at his notes when he got out of the car or when he was walking around the paddock, right? And he had a note about notes about what his tire structure like just how the car behaved and of course your boy paused it and was like what is he writing here uh first off his handwriting was atrocious but it did say that there was no problems with the tires he experienced no problem with the tires and i think that's interesting because what was haas's huge problem last year but when was haas's huge problem it's not what it was when right qualifying when they didn't have a whole lot of dirty air to deal with they were just superstars they put that kevin magnuson had a couple of top Mm -hmm. 10 qualifying's like p6 p5 and it was just outstanding and then they would get in the race and drop out the back yeah and i think it'll be interesting though but yeah because and the problem is is that of course haas runs a ferrari basically right um everybody's everybody's laughing at another team copying 
But Haas copied a lot of the concepts they, of the Ferrari, they too. Did. So my, my, or in a horribly mistaken move, but, yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> but uh, I, I, my point, though, is that if Ferrari is experiencing no problems with their tires, which it should have an asterisk on there where you're not going to get true, complete, dirty air effects in a, in a testing situation like this. You can simulate a little bit of it, but you're not going to simulate the entirety until you're on a grid. But if Ferrari doesn't have problems with that, then maybe Haas won't have problems with that either. Because we saw that when Haas could turn their tires on, Haas was effective. Yeah. Were- and and I don't know. I really want Haas to get back. We'll, we'll see what happens. But I, I do as well. Um, I think that their work is cut out for them this year because McLaren is going to be— Oh, they're so good. They're going to be—I mean, at the very minimum, they're going to be slightly improved, but they're already a step ahead of everybody else. Let's talk just, just for a second about the sheer number of laps McLaren and the rest of the field are are logging in. Record-breaking numbers. Of it's laps. it's ama- ridiculous. And I love the fact that we've found reliability. It's it's it happens this way every time there's a new set of rules, everybody kind of comes on song right at the end and parody happens. So I'm really excited for this year because you never know who's going to do what. You do have uh Racing Point or I think you're going to what are you going to rename them, Luke? tracing point because they take Sold. they take work done by others and they pass it off as their own they trace Sold. they trace here's, the car here's why i think it's not going to go as well because i do remember a story that i read a few years ago about a ferrari how the ferrari handed off plans to another sister team it might have been marusha mm-hmm. and they didn't give them the carbon layout they showed them everything here is the entire diagram here's exactly what our concept is they didn't show them how the carbon laid so the car was just unruly. It wouldn't go anywhere because you don't have the direct carbon can be directional. It's not always unidirectional. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the carbon going the right way, it's not going to work. Let, let's let's pause on uh, on on tracing point for a second. Shall yes, we? let's go back. Um, so the news this week is: Have you seen the 2019 Mercedes car? Because that's what I mean, bit for bit. And it's interesting. I saw a picture again on Reddit where if you take the wheels off and you look at the brake assembly, that's identical to the Mercedes even. Like mm-hmm. everything is is almost identical. The only difference is is that the rear wing is lower in the racing point, slightly, a slightly lower millimeters. Yeah, millimeters shorter, but it's the same overall design. Yep. And this is a new level of a mid team midfield team copying it, right? Like Haas did it years ago, and they still do it. But this is a whole nother level. And I think one of the interesting things to watch is Mercedes didn't do all that well with dirty air last year, but they didn't have to because they were often in front. Yes. How is a how is a car that doesn't deal with dirty air going to do in the midfield? I don't know. There there do seem to be one or two evolutions that uh, Racing Point has brought in. I'm sorry, Tracing Point, Force India, and Force Tracing Point India Martin Aston. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting because I think I saw, I read something I believe uh, from Gary Anderson on the race dot com that was talking about the evolutions, the small evolutions of how they were possibly going to deal with their dirty air. Not anything to write home about, about, but it'll be interesting to see if they can make it work. Well, and that's the thing, too, is with with aerodynamics, it's not the big things that always change it. It's it's a lot of times those small tweaks that you see, you know, a 20% increase because, you know, oh, you know, the wing went down a millimeter when it should have went up a millimeter. Yeah. And, and, little stuff. Yeah, it's but. the little stuff that can make that difference. I want to point out too. I think it was Lawrence Stroll said, uh, "I could probably, I probably have that wrong. I'm recalling this off the top of my head." Um, that's a disclaimer. 
But uh, I think it was Lawrence Stroll, uh, or at least somebody in the Tracing Point team, said that they believe they're faster than Ferrari this year. And you know what? I don't doubt them. Because here's the thing. That leads us nicely into Ferrari. I think what I can tell from the body language of the Ferrari mechanics when you see the pit shots and from the interviews you hear with them afterward and from just all the coverage of it, Ferrari, everybody took a step forward. Ferrari didn't. Mm -hmm. They just stayed pat and they improved a couple things. Here's the thing, folks, is that we're going to see that happen as we go into this new massive rule change with budget caps. You're going to see a lot of teams reallocating their resources and becoming a lot stingier with this particular car. This is going to be more or less, you're not going to see a spec B car. If you do, it won't be until well after the summer break. It'll be different everybody's going to be just going after each other with what we have essentially and with some minor updates along the way maybe a slightly new you know front wing to be attached that's about it or if someone's within striking distance of the championship like i don't know red bull they might actually invest into this car so that they can get more prize money to pour into the 2021 car so that might happen there might be some shenanigans and some jockeying but it'll be interesting to see and i don't know i I just I think it'll be it'll be interesting. I think that the Ferrari probably they start Marinello started out I see saying we're just going to evolve our 2019 car mm-hmm. and forget the fact that we I mean when you rolled it out I texted everybody in our little text chat and said that's the 2019 yeah, it, car. It, is. it was literally the 2019 car. They didn't change much of anything. And Matteo Bonato saying, "Oh, there's some radical stuff on there." Sure, no, Matteo Bonato. Sure. Um I think when you look at the reaction um, and the expressions of people in the pit, um, it reminds me a lot of what Williams looked like last year when they rolled out the car. Maybe That's not true. as stressed, but you see that kind of like the shoulders slump. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, the shoulders are slumped. They know they're in for a beating this year, mm-hmm. and it's a bummer. It really is. When a year could make or break your career and your life. That's a rough thing to realize. So I'm hopeful that Marinello is just pouring God amounts of money into the 2021 Which car. they have, and I think that would point to the fact that they're fully in on the 2021 car. And you know that every team is fully in on that 2021 car. Don't make yep. a mistake that just because Ferrari is holding back this year to you know shoot their shot next year, that Mercedes you know, didn't you know look over this year in some aspects just to— you know, focus on next year. Exactly. When when uh when Total Wolf missed two races last year, yeah, you know, just to go back to the Mercedes factory, you can bet your bottom dollar he wasn't focusing on this year's car. No. No. He was not at all. So, <laughs> so. we'll we'll see what happens. But I think that's the case right now. Mm-hmm. We also have uh two the two teams I am most excited about, Luke. We've already kind of touched on Mercedes. They're gonna run away with it because that DAS system is gonna be worth a lot. A lot in terms of tire management, which is yep. so important. Absolutely important. And probably it'll add like 5 or 10 K, um, KMH on a straightaway. So they're just going to walk away with this yep. thing. But the two teams I'm really excited about are McLaren and Red Bull. McLaren had probably my favorite rollout uh, of any of the cars that this year. Movie. The that movie. The movie was awesome. Was awesome. That, that movie trailer was oh. cool. Uh, actually, I, I just a little sidebar here for everybody. Zach Brown has found a new revenue stream. Hollywood. I think I think you'd you'd be 
Accurate. He he opened it up to Hobbs and Shaw, I believe, mm-hmm. where Hobbs and Shaw. I, you you saw that movie? I didn't. I did not actually. You see didn't? that movie? I'm so proud of you right now. Dude, don't, I don't, don't watch don't. trash movies. All right, I only watch enjoyably you, bad movies. You're drawing a distinction without a difference. Dude, but I, anyway, I watch The Room and Birdemic. I do not watch like <laughs> The Fast and Furious. Uh, okay, but uh, I also saw it when I turned on HBO's mm-hmm. Avenue Three or Avenue, Avenue uh, Five, something like yeah, that. Something it's like the that. new space thing, and that is their Johnson Space Center, is the McLaren Technology mm-hmm. Center, and their control room is the presentation room. So I think that was awesome. My my hats off to Zach Brown for that. That is brilliant. And you know what? Uh, with James Bond moving forward, Aston Martin's future is in question. Um, not that you'll ever replace the DB9 as the car of James Bond. But name, I would argue, dare I say, that for generic action movie 7A, right, uh, I would, <sighs> dude, McLaren's a sexier name than Aston Martin. I will say that right now. Pop in a McLaren. Hundred yep. percent, absolutely. But anyway, getting back to the car launch, I thought that was outstanding. I think the car looks phenomenal. I like that Red Bull and McLaren have gone for the narrow nose this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'll uh, add add a lot to not only the handling of both cars, but how they act on straightaways and their aerodynamics. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but I I'm really excited to see the number of laps that they're all putting in. To see the replays and to see the live footage, that Red Bull goes through some of the turns in Catalonia like a bat out of hell. It is it is, it is stupid glued to the ground. It is glued to the ground. I don't know what they've done beyond the nose, but it looks insane. And their suspension on both cars, the McLaren and the Red Bull, looks to be drastically improved. And those are things that they are probably going to carry over to the 2021 car. Yeah. So not all these upgrades are going to go to waste. Um, but yeah, those are the two teams that I am most excited about this year. This is going to be Dope, Luke. All right, we will get into a, a segment in just a second. All right, but let's talk. Let's start with uh, the other news around the racing world. All right, uh, first off, according to Paul Tracy on the IndyCar testing broadcast, that was this week as well. Um, the uh, the word on the street is that NASCAR legend. Uh, you know, I'm not even gonna say NASCAR legend. We'll just say racing legend. Okay, Jimmy Johnson is considering some IndyCar races next year. Um, he reportedly, his wife doesn't want him to run the Indy 500, but he's open to, uh, smaller ovals. He's really open. He wants to try out road courses. And I think we might see him at worldwide. Yeah. Technology. We might see him at WWT. That's not a very dangerous oval. Dare no, I say, it's not. um, knock unless, on wood, unless you're, uh, <laughs> Joseph Newgarden and some little rookie decides to come at you from the marbles, <laughs> whatever. But, uh, I think, I think that'd be a very interesting thing. I think that, uh, formula one fans across the pond um you know you see nascar driving you're like eh, but there are a select few nascar drivers that could have hacked it in the open wheel circuit if they were just born in a different place 100 uh, jimmy johnson is one of them jeff gordon could have won at anything mm-hmm. i will, i'm just jeff gordon could have won uh formula one if he had the right seat yep. no, no doubt uh but jimmy johnson is a very interesting thing he's still a very talented driver he probably wants to be away uh, from the danger, uh, you know, he's retired, but he doesn't want to go back into that full danger of NASCAR. IndyCar is a very attractive series. It's very easy to just hop in, a, you know, a couple seats here and there, sell some merchandise, have a good time. And I think that's really where he is, is he wants to have fun. I want to park it here for just a brief second and ask you, does this, it, I think it's undoubtedly good for IndyCar, but is IndyCar going to have a problem coming forward between Fernando Alonso, between Jimmy Johnson, between whoever else wants to jump around where it's just either the F1 rejects or it's the retired man's group. 
In IndyCar? Is is IndyCar quickly becoming the retirement home for racers? Could be. I See, the way I see it is that IndyCar is the thing that racers always wanted to do. And it's not hard enough on your... It might be kind of the senior circuit, but it's kind of like how the American League is the senior circuit to the National League. National mm-hmm. League is where you go in baseball when you want to throw, you want to pitch, you want to be athletic. You know, American League is where you go when you want to live, see out the end of your days on the bench and just get up to hit once in a while. Mm-hmm. I see it kind of the same way. There's nothing wrong with it. It can be better baseball. It can be better racing. And I would give anything to see Jimmy Johnson go up against Fernando Alonso on a road course. I think that would be an awesome duel. That's where the ultimate duels would come in. How cool would it have been? Because I know Nigel Mansell drove uh, like a kind of like IndyCar, but less mm-hmm. uh, well into his later days. And would it, wouldn't it have been cool to see Michael Schumacher go up against, in his prime, go up against Nigel Mansell in, a, in an IndyCar? Yeah. That would be pretty dope. And I think I think you hit on something here, too, where it does – it says something that all these retired racers are like, I've done everything, but you know what the one last thing on my bucket list is? Be a part of a 500. Yep. Race in this – race in IndyCar, and I think it speaks to the fact that IndyCar has become much more grassroots than than any other series, right? It's, yep. it's there for the fans. It's kind of like a – it's the feeling there is less corporate, more you're going to the county fair because it's – it's their, you know, because it's... They're very fan accessible. Right. They're very down to earth. And I think that there's something really great about that. And I think that real drivers want to win. Right. That that particular, not only those monuments, but other events in IndyCar that are just wonderful. To drive. Like Long Beach is Long still Beach. an yeah. incredible race. The, and, you know, the, I mean, the corkscrew, everybody wants to drive through that. And if it's still open in a few years, but oh, stop, stop, <laughs> just let me dream, okay? But the but, corkscrew, yeah. you know, um, St. Pete is quickly becoming one of my my tracks, and I'm like, this is just a really or even classic, quickly becoming a, a classic street circuit, you know? Even the NDGP circuit, right? It's a great track. So I think that you're going to see a lot of drivers switching mm-hmm. and going over, kind of like Juan Pablo Montoya did, where he wasn't past his prime. Uh, now the Formula One doors were not open to no. him anymore, but he did. He crossed over and did something else. I think it'll be great. And I want to say too that I want to nip this in the bud both ways. By the way, I don't think it's becoming their retirement circuit. I think, like you said, it's just something that people want to do. And I think that it's not a detriment to IndyCar to have these older drivers in here because you know who's still dominating: the Alexander Rossi's, the Joseph yep. Newgardens, the guys who are young guns and they just know how to wheel a car around any car track. The only older character who's still just, you know, bang, bang in IndyCar is Scott Dixon. But you know why that is? It's because Scott Dixon's been in an IndyCar for over a decade. Nigh on two. <laughs> and he's really, really fast. He's, he's, he's a stupid, ridiculously talented driver ridiculous who I respect sixth, so much. Me too. And the, I, he also has the sixth sense of where to keep the car in the pack yeah. so as to limit his damage and his risks for later. And then when those things do happen, he just happens to be in the right spot at the right time. <laughs> I want I think it, that is positioning. That's not only luck. Yeah, it, you know, and that's that's. But the point is though, is that he is the exception that proves the rule. He is. Most of the older crowd in IndyCar, you know, 
your Elio Castroneves, you know, your Tony Kanan. They're not where they used to be. They're not going to go out and win a 500, probably. Yep. But Scott Dixon is a legend, so he doesn't really count because Scott Dixon is Scott Dixon. You want to talk about a driver that could have been just killer in an F1 car? Scott Dixon. My God, he knows how to drive. <laughs> he really does, but... Um, Yeah, so uh, one last thing. You know, I feel bad. We made that coronavirus joke, you know, probably five episodes back. Uh, This is our last bit of a movie. I made a coronavirus joke. There you go. Um, About five seasons back. Uh, Seasons? Five episodes back. (laughs) Man, I am... You know what? I'm tired. Yeah. Uh, Coronavirus fears have led to major concerns over the status of Italy ahead of this season. And we will get into, you know, our other segments, but our news we have to catch up from, you know, two weeks ago. And this has kind of been a breaking thing, and I'll be honest with me traveling to Austria. If it's in Upper Italy, that's not really all that far away from Austria in terms of distance. Yeah, um, it's causing a little concern of me. I'm still going, um, but it's I'm a little like, ooh, that's awfully close. <laughs> yep. Uh, so eleven towns across the Lombardy region, which uh, encompasses importantly Milan and Monza, have been put on a 15-day quarantine. Uh, Italy is, of course, the home of Ferrari, Alfa Tori, who is uh, based out of Faenza, which is, r- like, r- right outside of Milan. Um, Faenza is very, very close to Milan. Uh, Monza, Imola, uh, Pirelli is based out of, uh, I think they're based out of Monza as well. Um, there's a, that Lombardy region mm-hmm. that has 15 towns on, in quarantine, and it's be quickly becoming an, uh, the next outbreak point is the center for what I would consider um, the heart of Formula One, the beating heart of Formula One and the soul of Formula One's over in Great Britain. But I think that there's a possibility that if if this outbreak continues, and we don't want to be fear-mongerers here, right? Like, be real about the coronavirus and it's dangerous, and it's dangerous but um, we're not looking at a mass extinction event. I think we can agree, right? It, it's Hope deadly. Not. It's deadly, but it's it's not. Um, Might send the world into a global depression, but we'll find yeah, out. we'll find out. But I think that if you're being cautious about it, you are looking at the beating heart of Formula One is that northern Italy region between Monza, Imola, which by the way applied a couple weeks ago to take the Chinese GP, and then Mugello, uh, which is in that region, also applied today. I think it was today or yesterday to take the Chinese GP date. Um, Ferrari, AlphaTauri, Monza, Imola, Pirelli, um, Marinello, home, you know, home of Ferrari. Yeah. That's a big region to be hit, and I think there's a possibility that we're looking at a much more impacted season than we thought even a week or two ago. Yep. So my question is, what do you even do if 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 Marinello or if, if Monza and that entire Milan region has to go into quarantine? Can the Formula think- One season even progress absolutely and you either tack it on at the end or you just keep going because the world moves on yep and while it is tragic if anybody dies as a result of coronavirus and you know anybody listening practice general cleanliness Mm -hmm. keep your hands washed doesn't matter how chaptered dry they get uh don't touch your face if you can help it and you know just just use your head but um you know i think Yes, we can have a Formula One season. It's just like if China where it's just going to be two less races this year, and it'll be a footnote where we say, hey, the coronavirus was why we canceled these two races. And that'll be it. It'll be like, you know, when 
But what happens when Ferrari's factory shuts down, when Pirelli has, you know, they, their workers can't come in? I'm a big proponent of not borrowing trouble. So I don't know. I'm not going to speculate on something that is, as of right now, a far cry from happening. Right. So I think that we will, because I, I, I also believe in self-fulfilling prophecy, and if we sit here and speculate about it, it might lend the universe to making it happen. Yeah. So let's let's it's, not borrow that kind of trouble. It's dangerous, but I just wanted to bring this up because it's absolutely yeah. something that we should keep our eye on. Um, it, wa- watch this space. Right. That's going to be something that could be a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it again, if you're in the northern Italy region, we do have some listeners up in that general area. Uh, you know, use your common sense. You know, be hygienic and uh, watch out. Be on the watch out. Um, yeah. But other than that, you know, continue. You know, obey what your government tells you to do. Because in this situation, they really do have your your health in mind. Yep, um, they really do. Yeah, they really so. do. Uh, so you know, uh, li- life in Formula One, I think, are gonna are gonna move on. Um, but this is something that we need to watch. All right, so I'm going to kick it into a uh, a fun little segment that uh, we did with Todd just a few short weeks ago. It feels like forever ago, by the way. And we're gonna start up with some bold predictions. It's time for bold predictions. Bold? Well, hell yes, it's bold. This is really bold. So bold, it's not recommended for human consumption. That's how bold this stuff is, you little Chris. And I mean it's bold. Bold, bold predictions. That's right. <laughs> we bold. Bold. It's so bold, it's not recommended for human consumption. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, oh my man. god. I, All little, right. Little peek behind the curtain here. Uh what I do is I add a marker in there and then that bold uh comes in afterwards. So Tim was like bold, bold, and then I said that and he's like, oh no, this segment. <laughs> so I have a couple bold predictions um that I want to go over here. Okay. All right. Um so we will have we'll we'll frame the first one as a take it or leave it. All right. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, the fast lane is a is the number one radio show in St. Louis does uh does a segment called Take It or Leave It. And we throw out a hypothetical, and you got to take it, like I accept this is true, or I leave it. Like, nah, nah, that's not going to happen. Too far out. Too far out. All right. So uh, I will start with a silly one, and then I will go into the more serious ones. All right. Uh, Greg Robinson, the the lineman for uh, the Cleveland Browns, uh, had got caught with a uh, 157 pounds of marijuana at the uh, at the border. Okay, 157 pounds of marijuana. How did I miss this headline? <laughs> I don't know because he's a former St. Louis Rams draft pick, 157 pounds, and he's a multimillionaire football player, American football player. But uh, take it or leave it. All right, 157 pounds is more than Kimi Räikkönen has drank in the last three months. Leave it. Leave it. You think yep. he's drank more than 157 it's pounds? Kimi Räikkönen. <laughs> He drinks it like water. Are you kidding? Yeah, leave the, it. The, I would argue that the only time he does drink water is when he's in the F1 car. Exactly. That's about it. Or to sober up to get in the F1 yeah, car. Basically. So, uh, so uh, here's here's the real take it or leave it, all right? Fernando Alonso grabs a top five in the 2020 Indy 500. Take it. You're going to take it. Yep, I'm going to take it. I will also take it. And now let me explain why. You can chime in here if you agree. 2019 was kind of a exception to the rule. I've never seen it. That was not on Fernando. Okay? Like, I don't want to be the Fernando apologist here as I rock my Fernando Alonso hat most weekends. But 
that you cannot look at the way that that car was trimmed, the way that car was set up, the way that car was slapped together and say, oh, that's on the driver. That was very clearly, you know, I don't think Alexander Rossi could have taken that car onto the grid, maybe. No, no, I think that that was, that was just a poor uh, amalgamation of circumstances. Right. So the question look is— Look at me with the SAT Look word. at you. Here's a $5 word and some change, my man. Uh, <laughs> Spit, spit that one out there, bud. Shut up, bud. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But uh, I think the question becomes, then, what does Fernando Alonso look like with a good car? And you can point to the fact that before his Honda engine blew up in 2016, when he fought Alex Rossi, he fought Alex Rossi for 100 laps for first place at Indianapolis. And I think good. he showed some serious yeah. prowess there. We'll, we'll see if he still got it four years yeah. later. I think I think it'll be good. I think he'll be top five. Um yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. I think top five. So I have the other two outlines on here. Um, so Mercedes gave their full 19, 2019 car more or less to racing point or tracing point. Excuse me. The Pink Panthers look quick in qualifying. They claim they're quicker than Ferrari. Take it or leave it. The Pink Panthers. First off, the Pink Panthers end up on the uh, on the podium this year. Take it. You're going to take it. Yep. I think the Pink Panthers will, in some circumstances, qualify well, specifically Sergio Perez, and I think that he will transfer that into podium places. The other, the team, it'll be, honestly, I I personally think that Ferrari will not just have not taken a step forward, they will have taken a step back, and they will be fighting in the midfield. And That's bold. I, that, that is bold. Mighty bold. Look at that waveform right there. <laughs> and... I I personally think that McLaren will step up and uh, the fight for Ferrari will be with the other teams and that McLaren will be sitting back in the bird dog seat trying to snipe uh, and they probably will snipe a podium place here and there. It'll be between Mercedes and Red Bull and then Merce- uh, it'll be Tracing Point and McLaren duking it out for whoever gets the next. Okay, that- So I think that that's going to be the, the pecking order. That answers my next question, which was boldly predict the the three teams: uh, Ferrari, McLaren, and Racing Point. And I think you'll I I I think McLaren will duke it out over Tracing Point only because I think the quality of their drivers, both one and two, are higher overall. I think if we're talking about who's going to end up at the top at the end of the year, uh, I, I'm just talking about race quick, by race. Yeah, uh, race by race or third um, race by race. Let's say I think. Okay. You'll find McLaren usually beats Tracing Point, and I think that you'll find Ferraris either in the mix or behind those two. I don't think they're going to be convincingly in front of those two like Mercedes and Red Bull are. I get you. I take it or leave it. All right. For two of them. First one, Carlos Sainz bags his first win this year. Ooh. Okay, that's a tough one. because I, I, didn't, I don't make things easy, pal. No, you don't. Um, I am going to leave it, and here's why. I'm going to take it. Here's why. Uh, and I'll let you take it as, and, and I'll let you explain why in a second. I'll go. I'll I'll explain why I think it's not. I think that Carlos Sainz is a very talented driver, and I think if you put up, you know what what we think the Ferraris are right now, not what we know the Ferraris are. We saw how that happened last year. We said we think we know what Haas is, um, but uh, what we think the Ferraris are this year, and you line up what you think Racing Point is, and you line up what you think uh, McLaren is. I think McLaren is honestly. Carlos Sainz is the best driver in the best car out of those three, if we're sticking to our bold predictions we just said, right? Yep. I think Charles Leclerc is maybe a more talented driver than Carlos Sainz, but I honestly think that McLaren might have the edge car-wise, so I think that's the best combination. 
The problem is, is that would require Valtteri Bottas, who can win races himself, Lewis Hamilton, who is Lewis bleeping Hamilton, right, uh, and uh, you know Max Verstappen, and also a very solid Alex Albon. All four of those guys. To yep. to not. I think. I think Red Bull will be a more solidified team. I think where Carlos signs, and the reason I'm taking it, is because a Germany is going to happen. Mm. And Carlos will be there because he is phenomenal in the rain. He is phenomenal in disaster situations, and he'll be there. I also have another one. Okay. Take it or leave it. Lando Norris bags his first podium. I will take that, actually. It's much easier for me to accept that... Uh, we mentioned four drivers, Hamilton, Botas, Verstappen, and uh, Albon, right? Yeah. Much easier for me to accept that, you know, two of those guys are going to have a bad race here and there, mm-hmm. and Lando sweeps in. I honestly think the gap between Lando and Carlos is not very big. If if Carlos is going to sweep into third, I think Lando is almost equally chance has an equal chance of doing that as well. Yeah. Um, here's, here's a bold prediction. Okay. By summer break, we will have McLaren where we will have Racing Point realize what's at stake here. A possible third on the drivers uh, on the uh, podium, right? I think specifically if you look at Racing Point slash Aston Martin. I think you see them pursue a very aggressive improvement strategy over this year and realize, oh, shoot, not only do we have a car that is near the front, but we can actually heavily invest and make this maybe the most successful team, the successful outing, in team history if you're racing point. I wouldn't be shocked if we see one of those midfield teams who seems to have it figured out. I wouldn't be shocked if we see them pursue a very aggressive improvement strategy and just say, we'll worry about 2021, but right now let's do this. Uh, Yeah. No, I don't I don't disagree with that. I think either one could do that. Yeah. And McLaren trying to regain some of their former glory. Yeah, 100%. If, if it's there right now, I mean, you have no guarantee that in 2021 that you'll even be running fourth. You could and be running not know, to not to make eighth fastest. Right, and not to make light, but, you know, the coronavirus is out there. Tomorrow isn't guaranteed for anyone. No. So, you know, make hay while the sun shines. Right, you, you know, we don't know what the havoc it could it could call on the schedule. We don't know what havoc, you know, it could cause internationally. So you attack, attack, attack right now. All right, uh, here's, your, uh, here's your final bold prediction, all right? Bold prediction. Does Mercedes dual-axis steering lead to a sizable advantage or a minor one? Sizable. I'm going to say minor. I'm going to say sizable because it leads to improved tire wear, which is always Lewis Hamilton's gripe. Oh, my gosh. And I think it also leads to added uh, kilometers an hour in a straightaway where they already have a pretty decent advantage. So, yeah. I'm going to say that they run away with this thing, and it's not going to be close. I watched, I've been rewatching some of the Grand Prix from last year. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you and I both remember Valtteri Bottas running away from Lewis yeah. by 20 seconds in <laughs> Australia. A shellacking if ever there was one. Yeah, they're going to do that to the entire field all year. I'm going to say bold prediction. I don't think it leads to all that big of a, of a difference, all right? We saw the Red Bulls are glued to the ground, right? And so, in a way... Mercedes, you know, their their arrow, I think, might even be even, right? I think it's going to lead to a small advantage, but I think the other thing is his tire management, which comes in key. That would have been huge last year. 
But from my understanding, I don't know if a lot of the teams this year, I don't think they're having that much trouble turning the tires up to an acceptable temperature. And I think that, honestly, if you're running one-stop strategies, you're running, running one-stop strategies. I think that being able to turn the tires on to the right temperature is valuable, but when every team can do it, it becomes less valuable. It's syndrome from the Incredibles. When everybody's super at it, nobody's super at it, right? And I think that between that and the fact that you're not going to shave a pit stop off, you're just going to continue running one-stops. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a huge advantage. I'm not denying it will be an advantage. I think it'll be huge. And I think that it's going to really show when there's not a lot of straightaway, like in Monaco mm. or like in Austria, where they, their power advantage, that the, the cooling on the Mercedes Or Australia, are, you mean. You said Aust- Austria. Australia, Australia, yeah, yeah sorry. Australia. <laughs> yeah, Australia. <laughs> Australia. Austria, or maybe I'm thinking of the Hung- Hungaro Ring. Something Hungaro in the Ring. Yeah, the, the, the like, Alps where the mountainous regions where things are not straight they are up and down and they are not they don't lend to mercedes strengths so i I think that's where you're going to see a lot of evening of the playing field i would say you'd see the evening in the the circus that were won by ferrari last year so yeah um not just monaco but i'm thinking of more of hungaroring i'm thinking of uh, Aust- uh, Australia is a good one, but I'm thinking also uh, Singapore would be a huge one as well. Yeah. Um, I think the reason you lost I in think... Austria is more due to the fact you couldn't deal with the altitude more than like your straight That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think that that's going to be what their straight line speed will be negated. You won't see much of an advantage there because their heating is too, or their okay. cooling is not good enough okay, so in Austria. S- you're saying you won't see the advantage in Austria. Right, uh, you won't Austria. see. Okay, okay, right. So that's where it'll be negated. I thought you, so, I, th- I thought you were saying that, uh, that you know, they won't, uh, what was it? I thought you said something along the lines of, there's not a lot of straights in Austria. I'm like, Tim, there's a lot of straights in the Austria. No, Austrian I'm saying you're going to see that negated. Right, okay, yeah, um, I, I can see that. So in the Mexico's. Right, but you're going to see it accented in Baku, where that's the longer straightaway in Formula One. And... It's, Mercedes it's, is just going to run away from yeah. you. It's longer, by the way, than Formula One says it is because those two kinks aren't even They're not corners. kinks. They're, yeah, no. they're, they're straights. Yeah, so it's going to be a straight. It's going to be flat out. They're not going to move that steering wheel back during those two, <laughs> no. in those two kinks. So, yeah, I think you'll see sizable some places, not so much others. It'll be interesting. I think it will be, too. So we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back with a special Ryan Newman uh, segment. Shall we call it? I wanted to call it a tribute segment, but that would imply that he's not alive and safe, which he is. So He is indeed. We'll be back with the Formation Lab on 101 ESPN. The Formation Lab. The Formation Lab. Welcome back, everybody, to the Formation Lab. And let's just say last week's episode, um, which is down right now, we'll explain that later. But uh, it was very tense. We recorded it on that Monday night. And while we were recording... Ryan Newman suffered one of the scariest crashes I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Um, and we thought that he was dead. I'm, I'll just be straight with, with you guys. We um, said that, you know, we will update when we know he's okay. But Tim and I were texting, and uh, Tim, we were convinced that he was not with us anymore. And no one watching would think that you could make it through that. Not only did you get thrown into the wall, uh-huh. you flipped you got T-boned driver's upside side down. On the uh, driver's side. On the driver's side. You got T-boned on the driver's side. And then you were dragged for a quarter mile in nothing but fire. And there's, you just don't walk, you don't walk away from one of those, much less three. 
Right. And, you know, so it was, you were just, we were both trying to brace ourselves for there's been a death. The, 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 the minimum impact that I want, yeah, so we were trying to brace ourselves for the death, but I want to say that the minimum impact, the least of those injuries, the least dangerous of those was going into the wall. And that's still something where you're like, Ooh, he probably broke, you know, a leg or something there. Right. Um, we tried to brace ourselves for a death and we were thinking, how do we come back next week? And, say that Ryan Newman, you know, didn't make it. But here's the deal is he made it. And not only did he make it, he walked out 48 hours later with his daughters under his own under his own power. Yep. Like and and that to me is absolute insanity. I I could not believe that picture. We we I we but we texted each other and honestly I had friends at work who apparently listen to the show now text me that picture and say how on earth did this happen and we're speechless we're 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 thrilled we're, we absolutely we're are. elated that he's okay because no one should die in a car no we hype up a lot of things on the show some of it is we're legitimately excited other things you know maybe we're just trying to add some energy to the show I cannot put into words how genuine we are. When we are, we're floored, right? That is not just, oh, we were floored like you see on the Today Show. We were legitimately floored. That was absolutely blown away. It's abs- it's, it is a miracle that that happened. But it's a miracle that's been a lot of years in the making. It has been. And this is part of the difficulty of watching racing is you kind of accept at a certain point that the unfortunate reality is that if you watch enough of this sport, you will see some very gruesome and, and not okay things. But racing gets safer all the time, and we don't give enough credit to it until something like this happens, and Ryan Newman walks out of the hospital without shoes, mind you, under his own volition. Yeah, under his own steam. Not, Nobody's supporting you know, him. No, he's just holding his daughter's hands. And honestly, that picture, if I were him, hang it up. Oh, dude, put I'm that. I'm not risking that again. Yeah. Not those two. No way. No. But that was absolutely incredible. But it does begin. This whole sta- stage gets set back in yesteryear. Right. And I think that gonna... you and I wanted to touch on some some brief history of crash safety. Right. And I, I realized that there, when I was typing this up, I realized that there are a lot of incidents that we left out. Uh, one that comes to mind right now is the, uh, what was it, a 55 crash at Le Mans? Yep. Um, that, you know, killed hundreds of spectators. But we're going to talk about some of the most recent things and how deaths in the sport and brilliant bits of engineering have made this sport so that a man can get hit driver's side at 200 miles an hour, flip and sit there in the fire for 30 seconds and walk out with his daughters 48 hours later. We want to highlight. We want to highlight that and the fact that not only has this been done, but also the safety of the vehicle where you're probably listening to us has been wildly improved because of these things. Yes. And, you know, none of these things are just happening in their own little bubble, and it's just, you know, something to do with motorsport. You are directly benefiting from these moments. Yeah. Um, so let's start real quick with a couple things that uh, – and then we'll go into one of one of our stories here. Yeah. Uh, let's start with real quick with a couple things that, uh, you know, you take for granted every day that were invented by racing. Seatbelts. That's, yep. that's racing. Rearview mirrors. That's racing. That was actually a Ray Haroon. Um, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. With the uh, the Marmon Wasp, you can go to the Indy 500 Museum, there you go. and you can look at it right there. It's the first rearview mirror. Um, first one. First one. Uh, you know, brake discs. Uh, it used to be drums, and they figured out that brake discs were better at stopping, and it 
and then uh, eventually it got placed in car because it was so good Formula at its one. job. That yeah, exactly. Formula One transferred to road cars. There's so many bits and pieces that have been developed from racing. It's insane. So let's talk about um, one of the mo- one of the darkest days in motorsports, and um, a day that you know NASCAR fans, IndyCar fans, Formula One fans, if you were alive or even if you weren't at that moment, uh, you know all too well about. Let's talk about the death of Ayrton Senna and how that really brought to the forefront and made crash safety sexy. So. It's 1993, mm-hmm. so we're going to go back just a little bit. And Williams' Formula One team is running away with it. Ayrton Senna is uh, at McLaren in his uh, Honda-powered McLaren, and they've been doing well. His last championship, uh, he had been duking it out. He won one in 1988 in that car, and then they kept trying to advance it. Uh, he won three total in his career but he's at McLaren, and the car, and the car is inferior. Williams has come up with a thing called active suspension, which we discussed earlier. By the way, is now outlawed. It is outlawed, and because all you really had to do was put your right foot down and bury it in the loud pedal, and the car would do the rest. It was computerized and designed to hit certain things at certain times, and it would adapt the entire car to that corner and get it through as fast as possible. Now, in 1993. Ayrton Senna has watched Alain Prost run away with the championship, and he wants that really bad. The end of his McLaren deal is up, and he signs for Williams. Just before the start of the 1994 season, we're told that, well, we the FIA comes down and says that active suspension is no longer allowed because of the uh, detriment to racing and the detriment to the drivers actually proving on track who's best. This is a devastating hammer blow to Williams. They have to completely take it out of the car. Adrian Newey, world-class uh, car designer who uh, I will wax poetic about until the day I die, is faced with trying to make something out of this monstrosity because he had designed the the car with active suspension, and it's impossible to go back and take out a central feature and make it into something good. So, unfortunately, he has Ayrton Senna in a kind of terrible car, and they're trying to redesign it. They're trying to come up with things. And it comes to Imola. Ayrton's not happy with the car. And, you know, it's never settled. He somehow puts it on pole position. God knows how he did that. But during the qualifying sessions, during the practice sessions, uh, a young Brazilian by the name of Rubens Barrichello puts it into the wall and is taken to the hospital. He lives. He's okay. But um, the next day, uh, a driver with the last name of Ratzenberger uh, flies into the wall and he does not make it. He's dead on the scene, um, and he and everybody stops. Uh, and famously, uh, Doctor Watkins, the uh, on-track surgeon, which the, much to his great, I know that we put him on the Rich Orner, Rich Energy corner of intrigue and villainy. But Bernie Eccleston did bring in Sid Watkins at a great time in Formula One to really emphasize safety, and they were trying as fast as they could. But it was just him, Sid Walk, Doctor Sid. That was him. And Sid was standing on the side and told Ayrton, hey, let's just hang this up. Let's go fishing. You're one of the greatest of all time. You don't have anything to prove. Let's go fishing. That and corner, by the way, um, that one of the first corners in Imola is Tamborello. So let's let, let's pause it right there and see that that corner was stupid dangerous. It was. It, it's a flat-out left-hander, and if I remember correctly, it kind of goes downhill. Um, and the the... Gravel trap is very close to the fence, which is very close to the to uh, 
It's like if O Rouge had no runoff and it was in no runoffs at all, and it, it is straight into some pretty hard stuff. And it's not a fence that's going to redirect you anywhere. It's a fence that you're going to go f- face first into. Um, so that is why uh, so, Dr. Watkins said, hey, let's hang them up, is because you can see, you can take one look at that corner and see this is not a good idea. And there are people dying on the track, and he right. doesn't want to see anybody else die. So come race day, I believe we're, you know, just about a third of the way into the race. Something fails on Ayrton Senna's car. Now, there are a lot of different speculation. The uh, footage has been dissected a million times. But essentially what happens is something fails on the right front of Ayrton's car. And he goes into Tamborello. Tamborello, And the uh, steering column breaks his neck. It, it the the impact forces it back and it snaps his neck. He actually is dead on the scene. They try to take him to a hospital, a local hospital, and revive him, but um, that's just it, it, it. It's no use. He's gone, and this worldwide puts uh, a real. It, it's a it's a huge shock. It is a momentous occasion. Yeah, I was gonna say that you can go back and watch footage of the NASCAR race that day. Remember, it's a race Sunday, so NASCAR was racing that day as well. And Dale Earnhardt, uh, senior, the Intimidator, steps out of the car. He won that day. I forget where it was. I want to say it was uh, somewhere in the south. It was like Darlington or something like that. And he steps out, and the first thing he said was, um, we were informed prior to the race of Ayrton Senna's passing, and he just pours his heart out about, you know, how not only him but his family and everybody he knows is, you know, took a moment of silence and really just thought about, you know, the legend that Ayrton Senna was. And this is on YouTube. You can go watch it. So that should tell you how important this was and how quickly the racing world as a whole said, oh, crap, like, we yeah. need to really pay attention to this. And the next, I mean, the the following weeks, uh, Brazil declared a national time of mourning mm-hmm. for, I believe, three days. Uh, the, they, you know, there was a military uh, honoring, a military salute to him at his funeral. Uh, one of the things that I always think is interesting is everybody makes this big thing about how, how he and Alan Prost were were brutal against each other. Alan Prost was one of his pallbearers. Yeah. So you know, I, I think that it, it really it really shocked the world, and Bernie Eccleston decided to go to war with it and say, "We're going to make this right. We're going to really invest in crash safety." They came up with the survival pod, which is a piece of uh, that is uh, strictly. Uh, regulated within the FIA rules where no matter what happens to the car, this pod has to survive. That came to fruition and showed dividends in 2016 when uh, Fernando Alonso destroyed the car uh, with a with a clip into in Australia, I believe, or maybe it was, Canada. It was Australia. Because it was Australia. It was very early on. And the only thing that survived was that pod. The, the engine came off, the wheels were both off, the side pods were gone. He flipped something like 20 times. Yeah. If you've if you've ever um looked at an F1 car and been like, wow, they look, you know, you look closely and they have they're kind of radically different. But you've ever wondered why, you know, that centerpiece is shaped the way it's shaped is exactly the same on every car. It's because aerodynamics be damned. In Formula One. They said that this part needs this part needs to be indestructible, and you see that ha- having paid off dividends in uh, in 
in IndyCar. It's yep. paid off dividends in, in in our own cars. Yep. In our own cars, there are areas that are like, no, this area here has to be indestructible. Yep. But it's not safe if everything's indestructible. So we just need to make this area. Um, it's the, the same idea, area. right? Yep. It's the same idea as a black box mm-hmm. in, in airplanes. Um, but the thing that I think is interesting is that they become maniacal about it. They study what crashes do. They actually put millions and millions of dollars. The following year, 1995, is when uh, the American government starts looking at crash safety and starts doing the frontal crash safety test. And so they're taking, they start testing it, and they look at what Formula One is doing, Mm -hmm. and they start incorporating how they examine, how they evaluate, how they pass and fail certain cars. And you start seeing... In national advertising for American cars, I know Chrysler minivans and yep. several other vehicles start showing the crash safety dummies themselves in the mid to late 90s. So Ayrton's death has saved countless lives, and I think that he would be proud of at least that. Um, yep. If nothing else, he was a devout uh, religious man. He very much believed in the betterment of everyone, and I think that it, you know untold millions of lives have been told have been saved because of his death and because of what the actions of Bernie Eccleston after that. And here's how good Formula One was about it. And it's scant that we have this much praise for Formula One as an organization, shall we say? <laughs> We're usually very critical. Yeah. Um. I mean, to be fair, I it's you know, most of it is deserved, but they were so good that. Dare I say they ruined races for the rest of that season. You put you they put tire barrier chicanes, right? So they literally just put a tire barrier that comes, you know, a halfway across the track on one side and a tire barrier that goes more than halfway across the track on the other side, just to make a quick chicane. They put that in the middle of the iconic Roche. And that's kind of an iconic moment in F one is they were so concerned with safety that they said, We're going to make this race by all means kind of a farce. The tracks by all means, you know, a, a joke. Um, because we don't know if the cars right now are safe enough to take them. Yep. And the 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 weightiness of uh, of the decision to say I don't care if fans and I don't care if TV says and I don't care if the media says this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Which by all means it looked pretty stupid. Um, they stuck with it. They stuck with it because they said nothing is worth losing Senna. Or losing a, a Ratzenberger. Ratzenberger was not Cinna, but he, you cannot look any man in in, in the in the eyes and, as, any man or woman in, in the eyes and just say, yeah, you know, we're not going to try and make this as safe as possible for you. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too, um, that drivers know, for lack of a better term, how dangerous it is, um, and they've come to accept what it is, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying that, you know, you have to keep that in mind anytime a driver dies, but they know how dangerous it is, right? They're willing to accept anything up to and including the worst happening to them. But they owe so much to the people who said, but you don't have to do that. Right. We asked you, you know, you said I'll do the maximum, uh, maximum, you know, effort here, but we're not... You're, we're not required to do that. So right. that was a, a really big turning point in Formula One. And I want to talk not too long after that. Um, the Intimidator himself, Dale Earnhardt, died. And NASCAR kind of, this has been one of the more controversial moves in NASCAR history. And I'll get into why in a second. We touched about it uh, a couple of episodes ago. But 
Dale Earnhardt chose not to wear a device called the Hans device. And if you look at race car drivers, uh, you will often see there's like a kind of neck brace is what a lot of people call it. And the idea of that is that it keeps the neck rigid uh, and attached to the spine. And it also makes sure that like the weight it comes off, and it, yeah. uh, it has like a bit of it behind the head yeah, too. It's behind the head, and it it has two attachments to the helmet. The idea being, if you are in an impact, it is going to brace your head and hold your head from going too far down. That's how Dale Earnhardt died. Right. So he hit the wall, and his head went so far forward it popped his neck, and it killed him instantly. Yeah. Um. But, and so this device is to not allow your head to go that mm-hmm. far. And and in that. In that time, NASCAR did not require all drivers. It was around, and many NASCAR drivers wore it, but Dale Earnhardt was a very old-school kind of guy. And back in the day, and it's only recently that this is not the case, your number one fi- your number one worry uh, at any given point in a race was fire. Fire yep. was the most deadly thing. And it's still deadly nowadays, and it's still scary to see a fire, but it's not nearly as bad as it was back in the day. No. Um, fire, fire, fire was the worst words you could hear at a, at a racetrack. And he worried that this Hans device, which by all means was fairly large and restricted mobility to a bit, um, he worried that it wouldn't, it would prevent him from getting out of the car in time in a fire. And that was a view shared by many of the other old school drivers in NASCAR at a time. And uh, unfortunately, he was doing high speed in the Daytona 500 in one of the most watched Daytona 500s of all time, I should add. Um, very poor timing for NASCAR uh, that he went straight into the wall and, you know, it, it, he didn't have that neck brace. And regrettable in retrospect, but at the time, he thought he was making the safest decision. Yeah. And this was this was NASCAR's kick in the pants. Um, you talk about, we just talked about Formula One's, you know, kick in the pants with Ayrton Senna. This was NASCAR's Ayrton Senna, right? This was a, a man who had a legion that's still around, much similar to Ayrton Senna, who respect him as the greatest of all time, right? And to watch your star die like that on live television, NASCAR immediately went to work, and they started figuring out how do we make this safer. Well, first off, the Hans device was required from then on. You can't just not wear the Hans device. And uh, they they started to develop this car called the Car of Tomorrow, um, and it's ultimately been a very mixed bag. But in terms of safety, it has been nothing but stellar. Um, it debuted in two thousand and eight. I want to say it was like seven years of testing that it took. And mind you, they took a lot of steps forward in those years, a yeah, lot. They did. Um, but uh, they the first one was they moved the driver's seat four inches towards the center. Of the car, and since then it's been moved a couple inches every few years, and it's actually planned on moving more towards the center, uh, more this coming year, uh, my understanding in NASCAR. And those four inches and change uh, probably saved Ryan Newman's life. Uh, back yeah. to our original uh, conversation, those four inches towards the center means that the brunt of that impact is now doesn't have as much of a chance as reaching the driver, and that was huge. Four inches. Four inches saves your life. Saves your life. That's um, awesome. It, it's. Incredible the the engineering work that's behind this. Um, the other thing is uh, is they really really went in hard on the roof flaps. So many race cars, NASCAR is included. Uh, the bottom is angled um, like a wedge, so the back end is has more the space. The rake angle, right? Yeah. So the back end is higher off the ground than the front end. Uh, 
creates downforce. Should be obvious. If it does, if it isn't, let's go talk to Dr. LeBeau. Um, but uh, that means, though, when you rotate around, you now effectively have a wing. These NASCAR, these wings, these little flaps at the top, the roof flaps, uh, as they're often called, um, are why you rarely ever see NASCARs go over anymore. It used to be you could see NASCARs flip all the time. I mean, turn on ESPN and the Sports Center would have three or four of them. Those flaps help create turbulence in that dead air mm-hmm. and keeps them from flipping. And, so. and but also, uh, they do a small job of slowing the car down. But mm-hmm. it, they're just incredible, incredible works of engineering. simple engineering, right? Yeah. Simple solutions to hardcore problems, right? And that's made NASCAR incredibly safer. The other thing that they really did uh, well with the car of tomorrow. Um, is that they beefed up the crumple zones and added impact-absorbing foam in the front and rear end. Yep. And that is why you see um, – you saw Ryan Newman's car, right? But if you look very closely, the driver area is not really all that mangled. The rest of it is, and that is by design. This is something – we talk about stuff that you see all the time in road cars. The crumple zone is an incredible, incredible work of engineering. The very idea, cool. The idea is that if some parts of the car are designed to – just get ruined that dissipates the energy one and two you can design the flow of energy so on the front it crunches and the energy goes around the side and it comes out the back instead of being felt by the driver imagine strapping a gigantic foam block to the front of your to the front of your car it's like yeah yeah, it absorbs a good amount and then it redirects the other stuff around and that's essentially what it is and you see that in cars right now that's why uh highway safety is actually um better almost every year because cars have better and better crumple zone technology and they can think you know racing development for that Uh, i'm not going to act like nascar invented crumple zones but they went all in on the car of tomorrow and of course people derided you know the racing quality of the car tomorrow and it wasn't exactly a giant success in terms of racing quality but you cannot cannot and i won't hear it understate the uh the importance of the car of tomorrow and how well that really worked in terms of being just so ridiculously safe and the proof is in the pudding. Ryan Newman walked away. So Ryan Newman walked away, and if you look back at Daytona a couple of years ago, Austin Dillon went up in the fence yep. and flipped, and he should have been dead as well. And should've he's still racing. Exactly. So um, that is you know, a, a massive thing from NASCAR. And there's been so many. It's so hard for us to go through and name some, but these are some big ones that you can readily see available. Yep. Um, but the last one, that we have mentioned here yeah. uh, is a Formula One uh, discovery. Back in 2014, uh, there was a freak accident at a Grand Prix where it was a rain-soaked day. Yeah, and I want to hit on that real quick. It was it was a freak accident. Um, well, actually, you know, you you tell the story of this accident, and I'll get on there. And in, in yeah. actually, so it was a rain-soaked day, as you were saying, uh, is in Japan, I do believe. Yes, I believe it was at Suzuka and. There had been a crash into the tire barriers. Everybody was sliding off the, the – there was no rhyme or reason. There was no saving yourself from it. No matter what speed you went, everybody was sliding off. And there was a car, and uh, there was a tractor out to get the car. Um, and unfortunately, the tractor was just really unfortunately placed in at the apex of the turn. And Jules in his car, I believe it was a Marusha at the time. Jules Bianchi. Jules Bianchi, yep. yeah. Uh, godfather to – uh, Charles Leclerc, mm-hmm. and his car went off at a decent enough speed, and he went under the tractor, and uh, he he was killed. Yeah. Um, and it was just a horrible thing, and I I mean, 
I don't know if this solution would have saved him or not. Um, I believe that it was a sufficient enough speed that he went off at that it would have nothing would have stopped him. But it but. kicked Formula One in the pants. And before we talk about that kick in the pants, I, I want to say something too, in that there are back to the safety of these things. When you see a spectacular crash anymore, and when I say spectacular, I mean, you know, people are flipping left and right and it's just craziness. It is insane the survival rate of that. Because yeah. everybody looks at those crashes and the engineers on it who are paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, sometimes into the millions of dollars a year, know exactly how to dissipate energy through that. And it's always the crashes that you can't see coming. The excuse me, the Jules Bianchi crash, um, where if you play, if you race for a thousand years, you might never see a guy go off in the rain under a tractor who is picking up driver who did the exact same thing earlier yeah. in the lap you might never see that again uh and that's really one of the interesting things about racing is it's never the spectacular it's not usually the spectacular crashes that are weird that you know kill it's the weird ones that you can't foresee but that's the thing is they get better at foreseeing things every single day so um they got a kick in the pants and they introduced the halo device the halo device is it honestly it looks like the top of a flip-flop. It's a flip-flop. <laughs> it is a flip-flop. Um, but it does uh, have a lot of qualities about it that are very good for impact to the driver's head, which is exposed in open cockpit racing. Um, and that was put in uh, to test almost immediately. Uh, July 2015, well, it came in, it was tested in uh, 2018. But Peter Wright in 2015 said uh, that the FIA Safety Commission was uh, looking at a closed cockpit that would, would not have averted his injuries, mm -hmm. but um, this did, I believe, save his godson. Yes. In, uh, in Belgium in uh, 2018, 2018. Uh, there was a freak accident where uh, Fernando Alonso's McLaren was thrown over the top of Charles Leclerc's uh, Alfa Romeo. And it is in Drive to Survive, uh, season one on Netflix, which you should all go check out if you haven't. What are you doing? Go check it out. <laughs> this show is kind of predicated on Drive to Survive anyway. It is. But um, you should definitely go check it out. And you see uh, the the incredible damage that was done and probably would have happened to Charles Leclerc, Leclerc's head had that Halo device not been there. Now, there is... There is something to be said for the the ability to get out of the car in an emergency. Um, they did add more time. The FIA added more time for those to get out if there is an emergency. The thing is, I heard it put best that, um, yes, they added more time for the driver to be able to get out of the car, but that didn't mean that fire slowed down. Mm -hmm. So you have to bear that in mind that you have to be able to get out, and it does make it more difficult in situations like Nico Hulkenberg's where the car, he is on top of the, the car is on top of him and he can't get out and there is fire. Yeah. And thankfully the stewards were able to put it out in time, but I don't think they've addressed that portion of the safety feature, but I do think that it is absolutely essential that that piece be there. And, and it's something that the FIA is still looking into into this day is how do we get drivers out quicker with the halo device? Um, Charles Leclerc credits it with saving his life. And Toto Wolf was a large pundit of this thing. Stupid, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I would cut the off with a chainsaw. <laughs> He literally said that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but after Belgium in 2018, uh, he was basically like, he's quote, it proved its worth. It's proved it needed to be there uh, because it probably saved his life. And I think that it's interesting, too, that um, while the Halo 
probably wouldn't have saved Jules Bianchi. It probably would have saved Justin Wilson in IndyCar. And IndyCar is adding uh, what they call the aero screen, which is a it's a halo but with a windscreen in front of it, right? Yeah. It looks a little jank, but it'll get there eventually. But uh, that the death of Justin Wilson was right around that time. And uh, if I remember right, there's a yellow flag. What was it? There's a yellow flag for like a fox on the course. They reformed. They waved the green flag. And then the, uh, I forget who it was in front of him, a car in front of him basically on that green flag lap hit the outside wall and he spat all sorts of uh, all sorts of debris everywhere. And a piece of the car hit the ground, came up, and it hit just uh, Justin Wilson in the head. Yeah. And that killed him. And that is where a halo or an arrow screen could have saved somebody's life. Yep. Uh, and honestly, the more you watch it, I mean, I think both of you and I were like, yeah, it needs to be there, but my goodness, does it look stupid. It just looks poor, and it needs to be incorporated. Yeah. Like the halos now, I don't even notice them. Right. They've been incorporated, and they <laughs> on the McLaren this year, looks dope. Right. Painted that matte orange. Oh, it looks so good. But it's the same feeling I had about the halo when it first came around, too, was like, this looks dorky. Yeah. But, you know, if they need to be there, and if they save somebody's life, you know, you can't just look somebody in the eye and go, like, you know. Hey. No, you get to die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And honestly, uh, you know, that's... That's one of those things, and it's one of the latest innovations is that Halo technology uh, and AeroScreen technology, which is, I mean, borrowed heavily from the Halo. Don't think they're two separate things. Um, that is something that has saved people's life, and it will save somebody's life in the future. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's a bold prediction to say in the next three or four years we're going to see more people whose life has been saved by the Halo. Yep, I completely agree. So uh, I think that'll wrap it up for this week's, that I, week's episode. I do agree completely. I think that's it. That's all we have. That is all the news that is fit to peruse. One uh, one quick thing. Uh, last week's episode was a, an interview uh, with Miami Commissioner Barbara Jordan, and uh, we didn't like how it turned out, um, so we kind of took that down really quickly. Um, we weren't really proud um, of how we came across, and we didn't like um, just how the interview went from both sides. Um it was it was very combative. We will say that, and I will just leave it at that. But we took it down because we thought that it wasn't the quality content that we wanted, uh, or that you guys probably would have wanted. So, executive decision. Executive so decision. That's we about move that. On. We yeah. have some other exciting interviews coming up. Yep, we absolutely do. Uh, so, without any further ado, see you guys next week on the Formation Lap Break. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs>